When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into NFL Live, where Brady is back, but without Gronk. How much pressure will there be on the Buccaneers' pass catchers? And the Bengals surprised everyone with their run to the Super Bowl last season. So could things look different for Burrow and company this fall? Plus, for the first time in forever, there are questions surrounding the Steelers' signal caller. But could the end result actually be an upgrade from last season. We've got a packed house here on NFL Live today. Mina Kimes, Sam Acho, and Adam Schefter with me. I'm Kelsey Riggs, and we're with you for the next hour. How about Terry McLaurin? Put pen to paper today, officially signing a three-year, $71 million extension. We'll get to that in a few, but we start right now in Cleveland, where the Browns are awaiting the ruling from Deshaun Watson's disciplinary hearing that wrapped up last week. Watson has been accused in civil lawsuits by 25 women of actions ranging from sexual assault and appropriate behavior during massage sessions. 20 of the plaintiffs agreed to settle prior to the hearing and one of the lawsuits was dropped. So Adam, where does Watson's case with the league stand right now? Look, I'll say the post-hearing briefs are due the week of July 11th, meaning next week. So barring some settlement that nobody sees coming right now, it looks like the judge will get the post-hearing briefs. And then in the words of various people, quote-unquote, take her time before she makes a decision. And we'll see what the judge decides here because there's no track record of Judge Sue L. Robinson ruling on an NFL disciplinary case, being that this is the first one she's had under the new collective bargaining agreement. So really, no one knows exactly how it's going to shake out. I think the NFLPA feels confident in its argument that NFL owners were not held to a certain standard of conduct here, when Deshaun Watson is accused of being with 66 different women, sexual misconduct, and we'll see how the judge views it. The NFL made its argument, and again, briefs due next week. All right, we'll continue to keep an eye on that. The Browns also awaiting the ruling, and they have some decisions to make regarding the other quarterbacks that are on their roster as well. Former number one overall pick, Baker Mayfield, hasn't been with the team since they traded for Watson in March, but he is still on the roster and set to make a guaranteed $19 million this season. He was asked this week about the situation and the possibility of returning. I think it's uh, been pretty obvious the mutual decision on both sides is, is to move on. You know, I'm, I'm thankful for my four years in Cleveland. There's a lot of ups and downs and a ton of learning experiences that, uh, you know, I'll forever keep with me. But I think a lot of people think if they didn't have a quarterback for the next year, would, would there be any chance of reconciliation there? No, I, I think for that to happen, there would have to be some reaching out. But uh, we're, we're ready to move on, I think, on both sides. All right, so he sounds like he's saying all the right things. Mina would have returned to Cleveland for Baker. Would it make any sense? It's tricky because on one hand, if Mayfield was to say, screw you, I'm going to take my guaranteed money, I'm going to sit out after you, you know, tossed me aside, I think everybody would understand that decision and it would make a lot of sense. But on the other hand, if you take the emotions out of it and what's happened and just consider this from a football perspective and ask, okay, if Baker Mayfield's goal is to once again be an NFL starter, what is the best path for doing that? If Watson was suspended for some long period of time, 
it actually does make sense, I think, for him to consider going back to Cleveland. Right now, his value is so depressed, unfairly, I believe, after he played injured last season. If he were to join a Cleveland team with a very soft early schedule, an excellent offensive line and run game, as we all know, and Amari Cooper, I think he would actually have a pretty good shot of not only rebuilding that value, but probably winning some fans around the league. Now, I want to be clear, I don't think this is going to happen. You heard his tone, but if we were just to look at this from a football perspective, it does seem to be worthy of consideration to me. Yeah, it may be worthy of consideration. I mean, all those points make a ton of sense. But from a player's perspective, a guy who has been disdained and lied to by his team, I see it really difficult or if not impossible for Baker Mayfield to come back to the Cleveland Browns. Number one, he said in a podcast a couple months ago that they lied to him. They asked him on the podcast, said, Baker, uh, do you feel disrespected? He said, yes, yes, I do feel disrespected. They told me one thing and they did another. And that tells me that the trust has been broken. So even if there was an opportunity to come back, number one, you lost my trust when you lied to me and you told me you're gonna keep me as your quarterback and you went the day, next day, got Deshaun Watson. Number two, he talked about the ups and the downs, his experiences in Cleveland. I don't think he would want to go back. Last year, he tried to put the team on his back, play with an injury, yet there was a lot of noise internally and otherwise of people saying they didn't necessarily want him there. And so if I'm Baker, I am not coming back. Well, you wonder about the trust with not just the team, but probably the teammates that are there as well. So that'll be interesting. Um, Adam, what can you tell us? I mentioned that 19 million guaranteed this year. What's the right. trade market currently look like for Baker Mayfield? Well, my understanding is that the Browns are not willing to cut Baker Mayfield and have no plans to cut Baker Mayfield. And they're going to continue to hold on to the hope that they can move him and his $18.85 million guaranteed salary, knowing that they're going to have to pay and absorb a healthy portion of it. And it's a situation here where the Browns once were on the receiving end uh, of a Brock Osweiler deal, and now it looks like in this particular case, they're gonna be stuck with the money one way or another. The trade market is at best limited, but it's July 5th, right? July 5th is different than August 5th, and the dynamics change. There could be a quarterback who's injured over the next month. There could be a quarterback who struggles during camp in the opening weeks. There are a number of scenarios that could change the Baker trade market that right now is pretty flat. The only team that the Browns have had real meaningful conversations with has been the Carolina Panthers, and they've balked at making a deal so far. Now, that could change, but there's obviously not a great demand for Baker at this time. But this time is not the time of training camp. That's when things could change. But my understanding is, is that the Browns are not going to be cutting Baker Mayfield at any point soon, believing that they have a commodity that they know they're on the hook for contractually anyway. So plenty of time. And as Adam said, we will see what happens as we get closer to training camp and then into the season. Now, out of 31 qualified quarterbacks last season, Baker Mayfield ranked 27th in both QBR and completion percentage. So we'll see what the future holds with him and the Browns. But they do also have Jacoby Brissett, and um, he's on the roster. He could potentially step in as well. Should Deshaun Watson have what is looking like it will be a suspension in the future? Now, Brissett has not been a primary starter since the 2019 season when he started 15 games for the Colts. Mayfield has made 22 more starts than Brissett in their careers and has a slightly better QBR but Brissett has the advantage and touchdown to interception ratio. So with that in mind, Sam, is Brissett for a long stretch of games, if he's in there, what does the ceiling look like for the Browns? 
I think the Browns are still a playoff team, even with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. They've built a playoff roster, and they thought they brought in a quarterback who could take them to the next level, yet now they don't know what will happen at quarterback. But you look at it. You go and you get Amari Cooper, who has, who's had over 5,000-yard receiving seasons in his career. You even get little pieces, right? Like, talk about a guy like Jakeem Grant, who's a specialist pro bowler as, at returner. This team, David Njoku at tight end, re-signed. This team has the talent to make the playoffs, not to mention their first four, four game of the seasons. You start with the Panthers, the Steelers, the Jets, the Falcons, right? You're going to start off with a relatively easy schedule. Now, obviously, things get harder, but I think you're going to have an opportunity to make the playoffs. I don't think they can win in the playoffs when you have, unless you're going to have an upgrade at quarterback, but I think the ceiling is making it there. Yeah, I, I don't see the Browns as a playoff team with Brissett. Maybe if there was a four-game suspension. You know, Sam talked about how easy that front of the schedule is. But uh, not only do they play in a very difficult decision with two teams, the Bengals and the Ravens, that I think are clearly better, they also play in an unbelievably stacked right. AFC. And while Jacoby Brissett, I think, has proven himself to be one of the better backups in the NFL, he is a backup for a reason. Since coming to the league in 2016, ranks 41st in passer rating, 47th in yards per attempt, 46th in sack ratio, which has been an issue with them, even playing behind a good offensive line. I just don't think he can give them enough to really compete in such a stacked conference. And that is the whole point there, right, Mina? Because you not only have to beat out all the other AFC North teams, the Ravens, the Steelers, the yeah. Bengals who went to the Super Bowl last year. But then you look in the AFC West, the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Raiders, the Broncos, everybody's better. So if the Browns don't win the division in a very tough AFC North where they've struggled to win that division, then they have to find a way to beat out a couple of all those other teams. And that's very difficult to do. And so the pressure will be on Jacoby Brissett. And even though this roster is stacked and strong at certain positions, and it might change the way it plays without Deshaun Watson, running the ball even more, relying on a really good defense, it's still going to be a monumental challenge for this team to break through. You mentioned running the ball regardless of who starts at quarterback. The Browns could definitely, they can lean on that and what they did last season. They led the NFL with 5.1 yards per rush last season. So we will see. What if in 2024 you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, Imagine what you could do in a full year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Try Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are designed by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. It's designed by real people for real conversations. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. They have over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com tackle. Get 60% off at babbel.com tackle. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash tackle. Rules and restrictions may apply. It has been an impressive first three seasons for Terry McLaurin in Washington. And now the commanders, they're locked in their star wideout for even more. Washington signed McLaurin to a three-year, $71 million extension, making him one of the league's top five highest paid wide receivers. He had this message for fans. 
Commanders fans, what's up? Terry McLaurin back, ready for more years to come. I want to thank the Snyder family, uh, Dan and Tanya, for this amazing opportunity for me and my family to come back, continue to try to lead this team to our goals this year. Can't wait to see you guys out at FedEx against Jacksonville this week, week one. Let's get it. We back. He's back, and there is plenty for Washington to be excited about since entering the NFL in 2019. McLaurin has accounted for nearly 29% of Washington's total receiving yards. That's the sixth highest rate in the NFL during that span, right behind Cooper Cup, who also, you might remember, got paid recently. McLaurin has done it despite a revolving, a revolving door, rather, at quarterback as well. Washington has used eight different starting quarterbacks since 2019. That is the most in the NFL. So, Adam, we'll start with you. And how did this deal come together? Look, I'll say this is pretty simple. When you look at all the big wide receiver deals that went on this offseason with all the receivers out there getting paid, like Devontae Adams, like Tariq Hill, like Stephon Diggs, Terry McLaurin views himself in a comparable light to some of those receivers, even though he may not be viewed that way in league circles. But you talk about the uncertainty and the instability that he's had at the quarterback position. But he wanted to get a deal locked in. The two sides have been engaged in talks. Washington wanted to keep him. Let's be honest, Washington's looking for some other type of headline from all the other issues that have been circling around that franchise. And to keep a player of Terry McLaurin's character became a high priority for this organization. Once those other wide receiver deals fell into place, it was really pretty simple to get this one in place. And now that he is signed, it allows him to get to work with Carson Wentz to begin to build the chemistry that they did not because Terry McLaurin stayed away during the minicamps and OTAs. Yeah, you mentioned all those quarterbacks and, and said eight of them since 2019. Sam, it's Carson Wentz now, and Wentz has played for three teams in three years, but has he ever played with a guy like Terry McLaurin? I would say no, and the reason why is that, yes, we understand the stats. 3,000 receiving yards with seven different quarterbacks. It's, it's impressive, but what's more impressive is the way that Terry McLaurin talks about his game. If you listen to him talk, listen to his interviews, he consistently says, I want to be quarterback friendly, right? The way that he run, runs his routes, how he spends time with his quarterback, right? What he does on each and every play, even plays where he's not the primary target. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it hard on my defender, even when it's a run play. And so what I love is, number one, Terry McLaurin. He leads the NFL in contested catches last year with 25, right? Number one. Number two, he, he, a lot of receivers have this kind of attitude where it's like, I want to be the guy. Yes, he wants to be the guy. But he knows that in order to be the guy, he has to be best friends with his quarterback. We saw it with Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford last year. So that kind of language gets me really, really excited for Carson Wentz. Yeah, and I would agree with that, Sam, and note that McLaurin's production, as impressive as it's been, has also been depressed by not only his quarterback play, but the fact that defenses have been able to zero in on him as a primary target uh, since coming into the NFL. Now he's part of a, I, I think, what could potentially be a very good group of wide receivers. You talk about wide receivers being quarterback friendly. Put on Jahan Dotson, who they drafted this year in the first round, his college tape, uh, in which he reels in all sorts of frankly, terrible throws. So you combine that with Curtis Samuel, who can stretch the field and also is useful behind the line of scrimmage as a misdirection weapon. And suddenly you have what I believe is sneakily one of the better skill groups in the league, coupled with, of course, Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, and a very good offensive line. And then all of a sudden, it seems to me, 
the variable here is the quarterback. Carson Wentz is once again mm. being put in a very good situation. And if this uh, offense struggles, I think more likely than not, it's going to be because of his play. So many weapons for him this year. We'll see what he is able to do with them. He was fourth in the league last year in touchdown to interception ratio, trailing only Aaron Rodgers, Kirk Cousins, and Russell Wilson. Now, McLaurin's deal, it is just one of many that we've seen. It continues a great offseason for the wide receiver market. Of the seven highest-paying wide receiver contracts in NFL history in terms of average per year, six of them have been signed this offseason. Excluding rookies, there has been roughly $800 million in guaranteed money spent on wide receivers this offseason. That is the most in a single year all time. And there could be even more coming. So, Adam... Who are the next guys looking for big deals? Well, Coach, so the first player we look at is Debo Samuel, the 49ers wide receiver. The fact that he's back at minicamp opens up a pathway for the two sides to get a deal done. The 49ers already have said that they're not interested in trading him. We see the numbers on the top wide receivers in the league. Debo belongs right to be in there with some of them. And I would think at some point before the season, the deal does get done between these two sides now that at least there are open lines of communication. Deontay Johnson, not as much progress right now at the Steelers. The Steelers would like to retain him, but I think there's a disagreement on what his value would be. Deontay Johnson would view himself as one of the mm. top wide receivers in the league right now, along with some of those others that got big deals. And I'm not sure that Pittsburgh is willing to pay him in that category at this time. We'll see how those talks continue on this summer. And then, of course, there's DK Metcalf in Seattle. Now, there's been speculation that maybe Seattle would be willing to deal him. They've given no inclination to anybody so far that they would be interested in dealing DK. They've been saying that they would like to keep DK Metcalf. They'd like to keep him under contract. They'd like to get him signed to a long-term deal. We'll see if they can continue to work towards that this summer. But there's been no sign that Seattle is willing to trade DK Metcalf Despite the interest that has been out there, there have been inquiries during the draft, and Seattle rebuffed them all because it intends to re-sign DK and keep him in Seattle for a while. Okay, Adam, good stuff there. And, and Mino, let's stay right there with DK. I want to come back to you on that one because would DK be worth one of these big wide receiver deals that we've seen some of the other guys get this offseason? Oh, yeah, no doubt that he's worth it based on what he's shown so far. I think the question for Seattle is, um, do you want to pay him based on how competitive this team is? If they're rebuilding, is it the right move? I would argue yes, because while this team has already shown some signs, I w they don't view it as a rebuild. I view it as sort of a retooling moving on from Russell Wilson. Even if they were to go out, as I imagine they will probably next year, and get their future quarterback um, to move on from Metcalf as well would mean you'd be putting him in a pretty adverse situation. I think that's the line teams often have to straddle when they do rebuilds is, okay, we're going to you know, rip it up and try to move up in the draft, but are we putting that rookie quarterback or that next free agent in a good spot? I think that's a good reason to keep Metcalf, if nothing else, including the fact that he's beloved there and in that community. Had 12 touchdowns and nearly 1,000 receiving yards last year. We'll see what they do with him in the future. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. 
Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Well, it took all of 40 days for Tom Brady to realize retirement wasn't for him this offseason. The seven-time Super Bowl champ is back for another year with the Bucks. And while some were surprised by the news, his teammate Mike Evans told a story this week about some cryptic texts from Brady that let him know the short-lived retirement might be coming to an end. He said this, he sent me an article where his ball sold for over 500 grand, the last touchdown that I threw in the stands against the Rams. He said, that's a lot of tuition money. I just laughed and I said, to my defense, I didn't know you were going to retire. He sent back a laughing emoji saying, there's more touchdowns in our future. I just figured he was trolling me. And a few hours later, it's announced he's coming back. Love that story from Mike Evans and Tom Brady. And $500,000 for that ball. Man, a little bit of money there for that. I can see why. Um, Mina, Mike Evans clearly excited about Brady's return. But there are definitely some questions regarding their pass catcher. So what do you make of that group, Mina? Yeah, well, I think the question um, would be Chris Godwin's injury status, whether he's fully healthy coming back into the season. But I actually think they'll be fine, even if he needs a bit of time, because uh, the Bucks, I believe, made one of the sneakiest, most underrated signings of the offseason when they brought in wide receiver Russell Gage on a three-year deal from Atlanta. Uh, now, you know, he's not a household name, I think, to the uh, likes of Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, but he's extremely versatile, super tough, possession receiver uh, some ways has a similar skill set to, to Godwin and he's been incredibly productive for Atlanta last year when he did play and was healthy with Matt Ryan he ended up ranking 21st in the NFL in yards per route run which is a metric that accounts for both productivity and usage that's actually ahead of Chris Godwin and DeAndre Hopkins and Keenan Allen now he joins a wide receiver group where he's the number three I mean that is just the rich getting richer and it shouldn't be surprising given the way this team's been built. Yeah, I mean, I love that that he's number three, but he's starting a little bit higher than that, right? And I think the issue is like, yes, Russell Gage is a huge addition, but for me, Gronk is gone. That's number one. And we yeah. all know what happened in the Super Bowl two years ago when Gronk caught two red zone touchdowns and he was in on all four of the touchdowns. But the bigger story is that Chris Godwin is no longer there. Chris Godwin led the team in catches in in, in touch, in, excuse me, in catches and in, in targets. Uh, and receiving yards for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so with him and Gronk being gone, I think it's going to be a bigger loss than, we, than just one person that can account for, number one. Number two, uh, the way that Tampa Bay starts their schedule is the toughest schedule out of any team in the NFL based off of last year's winning percentage. They start off with the Cowboys, then they go with the Saints, who historically they've struggled with. Then you go to the Packers, you go with the Chiefs. And so who knows when Chris Godwin but missing on that stretch, this team might start off one and three, maybe two and two in these first four games. And then you have a new coach to top it all off in Todd Bowles. B.A. is no longer there. Now Todd Bowles is the coach. If you do start off uh, two and two, one and three, will Todd Bowles be able to get this team on a run? That is a question that is yet to be answered. And if Todd Bowles, Todd Bowles can start off strong or even get hot when it matters, then it'll prove that he made the right decision at coach. Well, Sam, so what you're telling me is they're missing their most targeted receiver in Chris Godwin. They're missing their most trusted wide receiver, at least Tom Brady's most trusted wide receiver, Rob Gronkowski. And yet they're in a division where it's set up for them to win. And so they can just basically hold serve 
until they get Godwin back. Maybe they come up with a night or another tight end in free agency or before the trade deadline. But something tells me this team, as aggressive as they've been, is as demanding as Tom Brady is, will still make another move or two here at some point this summer during the season to add the targets that Tom Brady needs and will want. But there's no question there is a void on the offensive side of the football. And to me, this point, Russell Gage may be one of the guys that they're going to lean on, but they're going to have to lean on other players as well because they're missing an awful lot of targets, production, and trust. So, Mina, with all that in mind, Acho mentioned the tough start for them, those first four games. What's key for Todd Bowles and this group to establish early, Mina? Well, um, you know, Todd Bowles obviously is a defensive mastermind, and his defense, I think, is still one of the best in the NFL. Them and the Saints are neck and neck. And even if the Saints have more skilled players at this point early in the season, the Bucks still have the superior quarterback in Tom Brady. Um, I'm not terribly worried about them, frankly. I think even without Chris Godwin, if he doesn't play, and then Gronkowski, obviously not going to be part of this group. I still think they have enough skill players, very solid run game, very good offensive line. Coupled with their excellent defense, I think they'll be able to win games. That Todd Bowles defense ranked in the top 10 in both defensive efficiency and takeaways last season. I want to switch gears now because there are multiple people here at ESPN who cover the league and leave lasting impacts. And we want to take that time now to honor our former colleague, Hank Goldberg. For two decades, Hank was a unique presence on ESPN, on TV and on radio, a football and horse racing handicap extraordinaire. Hank died on Monday on the 4th of July, which also happened to be his 82nd birthday. Today, we pay tribute to the colleague we called the hammer. Here's Jeremy Schapp with more. Ah, the sights of little Havana. What on earth is this guy doing? I'm in a car right now and I'm doing something for ESPN, okay? So uh, just bear with me while I be obnoxious to you, okay? John Hammer here. Yeah, all right, who is it? It's, uh, I demand to know. This is my town. I got to break the story. He was the undisputed king of Miami. Everybody knows me here. I'm the ins Hey, how you doing? I own this town. But in Hank Goldberg's head, the crown never rested uneasily. Instead, when I walk out of here, I expect to be swarmed. He put it to good use. On TV, it's down to the two best teams in all of football. Radio, I've got the most important columnist in my town here, Dave Barry. <laughs> Doing games, skipping the line at Joe Stonecraft. You want to use me to get to the front of the line? Yeah. Yeah. Embracing the hordes who came to town for the Super Bowl. You want to see <laughs> I can't do this. What was clear was that Hank Goldberg loved being Hank Goldberg. I know it's a dirty, sweaty job, but somebody's got to do it. For half a century, he was a fixture in the South Florida sports scene. I heard you. Some guy called up the other night and said, oh, wait till they get up against a good club, and you poo-pooed that whole thing. Long before the NBA, NHL, and MLB came to town, Hank had already set up shop. Yes, he was a transplant from up north, New Jersey specifically, where his father had been a newspaper sports editor. But Hank was no carpetbagger or a snowbird. He was all in. And he figures to catch a lot of passes because... When the Dolphins were the only team that mattered in South Florida, Goldberg was the ultimate Dolphins insider. Remember this, there was genius at work in the selection of Marino. 
By the time the Canes were in the national title picture and the other leagues finally showed up, Hank was more than a fixture. You want me to show you how he does it? He's, you know, that's ours. He was an institution. All right, let's hand and his reach had expanded beyond Miami to a national audience. So our first hammer of the week goes to Bud Adams and the Houston Oilers. Did I mark anything up? No, but you killed it. <laughs> hey, come on, back to the studio just for a second. At ESPN, he was a tout with a heart. You didn't pick against the Dolphins this week. No, no, I'm not getting into that family squabble, okay? I like the whole family too much. Wait till next week when they play the Bills. And a sense of humor. He had worked with Jimmy the Greek at CBS. That's even more pressure. <laughs> but Goldberg was different. No less serious-minded. This place is empty. My house is empty. But with a lighter touch. His greatest exposure came through the NFL. Yet it was among the thoroughbreds where Goldberg was most at home. And in his element. $40 exact, a box, 3-6. He was a savvy and committed handicapper. He was a throwback to the golden age of sports, when the biggest stories could be found at the track. This horse was 150 to one. Be like betting the Bengals in football before the season started to win the Super Bowl. For those who worked with him on horse racing, there might be joy if they made it to the window and acted on Hank's tips, or regrets if they failed to do so. One of his more memorable picks at the 2004 Belmont Stakes, Nick Zito's Birdstone, who went off at 36 to one. But the potential financial rewards were only a small part of the pleasures of being around and paying attention to Hank. He was a star in his world, but humble. You know who the hammer is? No. A spirited raconteur and gregarious. He could fill a room with his laugh. <laughs> you were great. <laughs> his persona on the air closely matched the real man, which isn't always the case. His job was to pick winners. It's a tough way to make a living. You can't escape the record. But Hank imbued his picks and everything else he touched with humor, humanity, and warmth. Which, as far as epitaphs go, is a terrific trifecta. Adam Schefter back with us now. And Adam, you had the chance to work with Hank over the years. So how will you remember him? Well, listen, there are so many great people that made ESPN what it is today. And the network was built on the shoulders of people like Hank Goldberg. And really, when you think about it, he was a man who was ahead of his time. Think about all the betting shows that exist on television today, on ESPN. People talking about lines and odds. And this was where Hank Goldberg specialized. One of the areas where he was an expert. So really, the world we're living in today is the world that Hank Goldberg helped create back when he was a fixture at the network and a fixture around the NFL. May he rest in peace and his memory will always be here for us. So well said, someone who definitely left a lasting impact and our thoughts are and will continue to be with the Goldberg family today and in the future. We'll have more NFL Live after the break.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Welcome back into NFL Live. We are about three weeks away from the start of camp in Pittsburgh, and the Steelers have an old-fashioned quarterback competition on their hands. That topic is front and center in the latest edition of our summer series, Off-Season Questions with Adam Schefter. How does a team replace Big Ben Roethlisberger? Well, Pittsburgh is about to try to find out. From 2004 until now, the Steelers actually have had even more stability at quarterback than at head coach, a spot in which the franchise has had only three head coaches since 1969. Roethlisberger spoiled the franchise, and now it will have to experience what so many other teams around the league routinely have in previous years, a quarterback search a quarterback battle with someone trying to become what Big Ben was. Former Bears quarterback Mitch Trubisky heads to training camp as the favorite to win the job, but just as easily could lose it to first-round pick Kenny Pickett. He's the most pro-ready quarterback prospect. Oh, it's a great fit for Kenny Pickett because he gets to be the Steelers' new version of Ben Roethlisberger. While no one can say who will win the job, this much can be said. In a division that features Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, Joe Burrow in Cincinnati, the Steelers no longer are the favorites they have routinely been during Ben Roethlisberger's 18-year career. They, for a change, have a shaky quarterback situation. They do indeed, and obviously a huge ask in trying to replace a future Hall of Famer at the quarterback position. But Mina, could either of these guys, you think, improve the offense this season? Yeah, I think so. Um, more so because of how bad the offense was last year, I think, than what they are going to bring to the table this year. Um, both Trubisky and Pickett bring some athleticism, a stronger arms. I think the Steelers' skill group is very good and got better with the draft, but they're going to run into the same problem that really uh, Ben Roethlisberger struggled with over the last couple of years, which is a, a very lackluster offensive line. They did make some, in, uh, some, pardon me, some additions on the interior, but the tackle position is still an issue for this team. And it's going to be a, an issue, I think, for two quarterbacks who have at times struggled, Trubisky versus the Blitz, Pickett holding on to the football uh, too long against pressure. Um, there are things that offensive coordinator Matt Canada can do to compensate for the offensive line. I expect us to see a lot of play action, pockets going to be moving, a lot of boots. Uh, that RPO game is going to continue expanding. He's going to use misdirection, preset motion to uh, make the life easier for Najee Harris. But unless either of these two quarterbacks gets better at handling pressure and there will be pressure, it's hard for me to see this offense being one of the better units in the NFL. Yeah, and I agree with that, I Mean And neither of these quarterbacks, I think if you're a defender, really give you pause, right? Unless uh, you can find a way, like you said, for Matt Canada to use Mitch Trubisky in his strengths. We saw in 2020 in the Chicago Bears, when finally the last half of the season, starting in December, uh, Matt Nagy, the head coach, started letting Mitch Trubisky go more roll, uh, roll out, play action, and he started to play better. 
Now the question is, will it be Trubisky or will it be Kenny Pickett? Obviously, Kenny Pickett, 20th pick overall, but he hasn't been proven yet. I think I, if I'm Pittsburgh, I would go with Mitch Trubisky, move him out of the pocket, try and get the ball to your skill receivers, and then see if he can use his legs to help his team make plays, which they didn't have last year. Well, and it certainly sounds like if you listen to the people around that team, Mitchell Trubisky was improved and mature at the offseason program, at the OTAs, the minicamp. He looked like he made a real mark early on, and he definitely goes to camp as the favorite. And that doesn't mean that Kenny Pickett can't make up the ground, but Trubisky showed the veteran skills that he's already learned in Buffalo and Chicago. He's shown how much improvement he made. Let's not forget that Trubisky once was the second overall pick in the draft, and he certainly looked like he was up to that part during the offseason program. I think the Steelers are expecting more out of him while they could bring along Kenny Pickett at their own pace. All right, Kenny Pickett, obviously their first-round draft pick did big things in college, but things look a lot different when he's playing with this Pittsburgh and not the Pittsburgh Panthers that he was with last year. So we will see what happens there. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Well, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins made history last season, becoming the first pair of teammates in NFL history, both 22 or younger, to each have at least 1,000 receiving yards in the same season. However, the productivity meant less touches for running back Joe Mixon in the passing game. Bengals head coach Zach Taylor was asked about that earlier this offseason, and here's what he had to say. So, so to make a statement that we can get more out of Joe in the passing game, that's got to pull from somewhere. And then we'll be talking about why there wasn't special production from Jamar or T. Or T you know what I mean? So it all, it all works together. We're just looking to be an efficient offense, maximize the usage of all of our guys, especially can't stress the defense. And then whoever gets the ball gets the ball, and, and we expect them to make plays. It's always a give and take, right? No easy answer, no easy fix to that. So, Mina, does incorporating Joe Mixon more in the passing game, does it make sense for the Bengals? I think so. You know, I don't think it's about, oh, making sure X player gets Y targets or, you know, allocating those targets a certain way, but more just playing what defenses give you. And I imagine defenses are going to give the Bengals uh, the same sort of two high looks that uh, Buffalo and Kansas City faced increasingly because this group of skill players is so threatening downfield. And when they do that, they've got to have answers underneath. I mean, last year when the Bengals did face cover two, their EPA per play dropped from 18th in the NFL versus other shells versus 19th. So I do think there is some uh, progress to be made in facing those looks. Obviously, running the ball is always an answer versus too high, and they do have a very good rushing attack. But you've got to be able to work the underneath passing game, whether that's Hayden Hurst, new tight end, Tyler Boyd, or Joe Mixon. I think you're going to have to have all of those answers available to you depending on how defenses play them. Yeah, and I think, I think the Bengals were pretty balanced last year. I mean, Jamar Chase, who's one of the top receivers in the NFL, only had 81 catches. T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, those three were the only combination of wide receivers in the NFL who had 65 catches or more. And so when I look at this offense as a whole, including Joe Mixon, who was 15th among running backs and catches, 
I see a balanced attack. And so I don't think that you need to give Joe Mixon more touches or more catches out of the backfield. I think, if anything, you might want to skew it more towards Jamar Chase, who is outstanding, right? Now, what I do love about this Cincinnati Bengals offense is that, yes, Jamar Chase is the focal point, first down, second down. But when it comes to third down, if you when you watch this team play, uh, Jamar Chase isn't the focus on third down. That ball usually goes to T. Higgins or Tyler Boyd on third down. Now, will that be the same next year? I don't know. But what that gets me excited about is the fact that anybody on this offense can make a play. You double-team Jamar, you got two other guys that can make a play. You get all three guys bracketed, and now all of a sudden you have a running back in the backfield that can catch it as well. Plenty of weapons, certainly, on this team. And Joe Mixon last year still ran for over 1,200 yards, third most in the NFL. So he was still able to get it done on the ground, even with less touches out of the backfield. Uh, speaking of Cincinnati, check out their quarterback, Joe Burrow, at UFC this weekend, rocking the bucket hat. Looks like he's enjoying himself and having a pretty good time. Guess a little off-season fun is never a bad thing. Not everybody, though, is just having fun in the off-season. Some people are really, apparently, putting in a lot of work and that takes us to one more thing guys we all remember this viral photo of Mac Jones right at Alabama the cigar in his mouth and uh, check out this photo from over the weekend was posted wow. on his Instagram how about that I mean I don't know the, the diet changed the workout changed Mina the, it, it's him he looks great. I, and not to make this like a serious football discussion, but <laughs> watching Mac Jones, I was actually more impressed by his mobility on tape than I thought. And if he's lost weight, that mobility is actually going to help him a lot in terms of navigating muddy pockets and uh, facing man coverage. So more, if I'm a Patriots fan, I'm pretty happy to see that. Sam, let's be clear. Mac Jones take looks, looks great either way. But, but, but yeah, I mean, you, you see him coming in looking like that and, and you see your quarterback, that's got to make you feel pretty good about it, right? Yeah, well, I'm going to take it back to a non-football discussion. For picture A to picture B, there was nowhere to go but up. And so I'm excited about what I see in picture B with Mac Jones, but basically mainly because when it comes to ending the season, we all saw how, how the, the Patriots struggled in the last five games of the season. When you're a college player getting to the NFL, in college you might play 12 games, 13, depending on playoffs, et cetera. NFL, it's 17, three games in the preseason. And so you have to condition your body differently and you don't know what that looks like until you've been through it once. And so for me, I get excited. Mac Jones saw what he missed out on last year, the way the season ended. He got his body stronger now, and he's going to get even stronger when the season continues. And you would imagine that helps his confidence, the confidence that his teammates have him in, in him as well. Mina, quickly, do you expect a, a big leap in his play last year to this year? I do. I know Patriots fans feel like they could have added more weapons around him, but I expect him to be much improved just by virtue of being in the NFL longer. All right. We will see if he is able to make a big leap in year two. And listen, he looks like he's doing all the right things, maybe saying all the right things and definitely getting that workout in. He can have the cigar to celebrate, maybe. Maybe that's the one thing that stays the same. We will see. And we will see you <laughs> back here, NFL Live, same time, same place tomorrow for Schefter, Mina, and Sam Macho. We'll see you next time.